This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Do you remember the story in the Bible of the death of Stephen, recorded in the book of Acts chapter 7? Stephen was the first Christian martyr in the early church. If your memory needs refreshing, uh, take your Bible when you have opportunity and read that part, end of chapter 7 over into chapter 8, the first three verses. The death of Stephen must have had quite an impact on Saul, Christianity's greatest menace, who later came to be Paul, Christianity's greatest minister. We remember that Saul was a Jew. He was a Roman citizen. He'd been raised in a Greek city, Tarsus. His opposition to Christianity was not because of any inborn sadistic tendencies, not because of any thirst for blood, but to Saul, Judaism was the only truth. And it was his duty to persecute those who were opposed to it. He felt absolutely sure that he was right in what he was doing. In fact, Saul was on his way to Damascus to try to put an end to this Christian movement on the very day of his conversion to Christ. It happened. Today, we know that Saul was dead wrong in what he was doing. And yet, I think we have to give him credit for doing what at that time seemed to him to be right. Jesus had told his followers they could expect this kind of treatment. In John 16, verse 2, Jesus said, The time will come when anyone who kills you will think that by doing this, he's serving God. There are times in our lives, too, when we are so sure that we are right, and yet we may be dead wrong. This poses a tremendous problem for us, one with which we all must deal. Regardless of whether you are young or old, there are times when you have to make a choice between right and wrong. I would be so bold as to say that there's not a single person within the sound of my voice right now who could not use a little bit of help in this matter of right and wrong in your life. Now, if you're thinking that this morning I'm going to try to spell out in minute detail the complete answer to individual matters of conduct for everybody, (laughs) you're, you're expecting more from this sermon than you're going to get. It is neither my privilege nor my responsibility to make your decisions for you. And consequently, I cannot say always whether or not your decisions that you've already made are right or wrong. Only God is the true judge. But there are a few general principles which might be helpful in our coming to the proper answer we're seeking concerning right or wrong. Let's look at a few of these this morning. The first statement I would make is this. Right does not depend upon the intensity of your belief. Some people say, this just could not be wrong. I just feel so good about it. I just believe in this so strongly. Another person expresses that same idea by saying, I can tell this is the right thing for me to do. I just got this feeling down inside that tells me that it's right. Now, I would not minimize the importance of feeling or intensity of belief, 
but there are certainly, these are, are not good enough bases upon which to determine the rightness or wrongness of a matter. There are other people who go to the other extreme and put no emphasis at all upon feeling. These would say knowledge of a situation, having all the facts before you. This is what you need to know right from wrong. This is what makes a difference. Well, we have about us today as much knowledge circulating in the world as anybody can possibly digest as far as right and wrong are concerned. Yet there's still so much wrong in the world we all know. I think the situation we face today is similar to that of Charlie Brown in a Peanuts episode some time ago. Charlie is speaking to Lucy about his vast knowledge of kites, flying kites. Charlie says, Lucy, in kite flying, the ratio of weight to sail area is very important. This ratio is known as sail loading, and it's measured in ounces per square foot. For example, Lucy, a three-foot flat kite with a sail area of four and a half square feet should weigh between two and three ounces. And at this point, Lucy interrupts Charlie Brown in his speech to say, you know a lot about kites, don't you, Charlie Brown? He replied, well, yes, I think I can say I do. And then says Lucy, okay, then why is your kite down in the sewer? <laughs> Intensity of belief, sincerity, knowledge, all these may be present concerning a matter you face. And yet your decision could still be wrong. Just because something seems to be right, just because it may feel right, that's no assurance at all that it is necessarily right. You remember those, verse, those words from Proverbs 14, 12? There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Yes, the rightness of a matter is not determined by how intensely you may believe it's right. Let me give you a second idea. Right does not depend on how many people hold a certain idea. Simply because many thousands of people used to believe in child sacrifice, that didn't make it right. In spite of the belief that many people had 200 or more years ago, that slavery was acceptable, they thought it was okay. We know now that it was a great evil. The worship of sacred cows in India today is a practice that's followed by literally millions of people. But does that make it right? We all like to have the assurance that we are not alone in a belief or a practice, don't we? Somehow if we can believe that the majority of our group feels the same as we do about something, then it must be all right. Everybody's doing it. Why do people say that? Isn't it an attempt to justify the idea that if everybody else is doing something, then it must be okay? Those who appeal to the majority opinion fail to realize that the majority opinion can be wrong. Majority, in fact, is very often wrong. The world has made its advances not by majorities, but by minorities. Inventions and discoveries have been made by small groups or by one person who has had the bold courage to say, it can be done. 
I think we'd have to conclude then that majorities are not always right. You can't judge or determine moral questions by a majority vote at all. Now let me say a third thing about this. That is, the right way is often the hardest way. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if God had designed things in such a way that the easiest path were always the right way? But that's not the way it is. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Go in through the narrow gate, for wide is and easy is the road that leads to hell, and there are many who travel it. The gate is narrow, the way is hard, that leads to life, and few people find it. I remember the person who once prayed, Lord, help me to stand for the difficult right against the easy wrong. I think he knew what he was praying. It is the easy road that always goes downhill. Do you ever find yourself just wanting to slide into the easy way of doing things? For example, in church life, I don't know any person who always gets his or her own way in every little matter in church. When you don't particularly like the way certain things are being done, it's hard to refrain from talking out in the community about your dislike of that idea at that church. Really hard to keep your mouth shut and to pray for God to bless that church, even when something has happened you don't fully agree with. And so when a person does the easy thing, he finds himself with another person who might agree with his own point of view of criticism, and the conversation begins, did you know what they are doing over at that church? And what happens? The work of the Lord inevitably suffers. Some churches periodically go through a process of purging their church roles. They remove the names of those who are inactive for a period of time. Some reasons that are given, they call them reasons for removing names are things like they quit coming or they're angry or they hurt our average attendance or the like, something like that. Let me tell you the true story of two teenage boys who grew up in adjoining neighborhoods in Dallas, Texas. Both of these little boys gave their Sunday school teachers a fit. Both Jim and Lee were characterized as rough and troublesome. A faithful Sunday school teacher contacted Jim every week for a year. And finally, Jim Porter gave his life to Christ as a young man and was later called to the ministry. He served for many years as a pastor and for several years he served as the head of evangelism for uh, one, one state's uh, convention on evangelism. Th that, was, that was Jim. The other boy's Sunday school teacher took the easy way. He felt they couldn't put up with such riffraff as Lee around the church. And he made no effort to visit Lee or keep him on the Sunday school role. In fact, very few people around that church or anywhere for that matter thought very much about Lee. He was a troublemaker, they thought. They didn't think much about him until several years later. And one day, shortly after noon, this other young boy who had now grown up, whose name was Lee Harvey Oswald, assassinated President John F. Kennedy. Yes, the right way to do things in church life is often the hardest way. It's hard for some people to accept others for what they are. 
We're prone to say, I'll accept you, but only after you change to become like I want you to be. Then and only then will I accept you. Oh, we probably wouldn't say it in those words, but the results are the same. I heard about a man one time who went to his doctor after weeks of symptoms. The doctor examined him very carefully, and then he called the patient's wife into his office. The husband was out in the waiting room. He didn't hear the conversation between the wife and the doctor. The doctor said, my dear, your husband is suffering from a rare form of anemia. And without treatment, he'll be dead in just a few weeks. But the good news is it can be treated with proper nutrition. So the doctor said to the wife, you need to get up early every morning and fix your husband a hot breakfast, pancakes, bacon, eggs, the works. He'll need a home cooked meal, lunch every day. And then an old fashioned meat and potato dinner every evening. And it'd be especially helpful if you could bake something for him frequently, pies, cakes, homemade bread. These are things that will allow your husband to live. And one more thing, said the doctor. His immune system is so very weak, though it's really important that your home be kept spotless at all times. Do you have any questions? No, the wife had no questions. Well, the doctor said, well, do you want to break the news to him or shall I? I'll tell him, the wife replied. So she walked out into the waiting room where her husband was. The husband, sensing the seriousness of his illness, asked her, it's bad, isn't it? She nodded, yes, tears welling up in her eyes. What's going to happen to me, he asked his wife. With a sob, the wife blurted out, the doctor says, you're going to die. <laughs> Well, some people in the church would just go ahead and say, you're going to die. I'm not going to do what it takes to do my part to lift the spirits here. Well, anyway, wouldn't it be wonderful if God were to make crystal clear exactly what his will was for every occasion in our lives? So we'd never have any problem making decisions about right or wrong. Wouldn't that be great? But God does not usually reveal his will in easy ways, but rather he chose, chooses to, to help us find his will as we walk in close communion, fellowship with him. There are a number of sources of light as we seek to find God's way. He's given us the Bible, his word as a lamp to our feet. He's given us his Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. He has given us his church the bride of Christ as we grow in relationships with other people. He has given us many outstanding Christian lives, which do give a positive example of how we should live. In so many, many ways, God reaches out to us to help us to find light in the midst of our darkness, to help us to discern His will and His way, to distinguish between the difficult right from the easy wrong. And so, Paul, you were wrong, dead wrong, when you consented to the death of Stephen. But when you heard that voice as you were traveling toward Damascus, that voice that said, Why do you persecute me? And you asked, Who are you, Lord? Then you got your answer. And you also got your life straightened out because you found out how wrong you had been. As it was with Paul, so it can be with, other, with us. When our lives are directed by the Spirit of Christ, as we walk with Him and let Him walk with us, 
then he reveals to us his will step by step. When we take our directions from the Lord, enjoying our new life of peace and joy and inner serenity, yes, we may stumble and fall, or sometimes we may even go against God's will. But wrong will never seem right again. Oh God, help us to know the difference between the easy wrong and the difficult right. Your way for our lives. We pray in the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus. Amen.